Heavenly Father, send your Holy Spirit to us. Use and overrule my words and all our thoughts so that your word alone may be spoken and your word alone heard through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, good morning again. It's a great joy for my wife, Meg, and me to be back with you all. We've been very much looking forward to Christ the King Sunday at this wonderful church. Uh, But again, I want publicly to give thanks to God for the ministry of your pastor and rector, David. David, I am just always so thankful for your love of God's word and your heart to disciple and care for God's people. You all have been walking through some particularly tough challenges these days over relocating, and I'm very grateful, as always, for your for your leadership. And I praise God for you and Jennifer and for the witness of your marriage and your family. Uh, You're a great team. Um, Robbie, thank you for your faithful ministry, your commitment especially to the young people of this church. It was wonderful to see the fruit of that ministry this, this morning. And I just love your passion to reach out to those who do not yet know our Savior. Both Robbie and Albert Thompson of this church serve on the standing committee of our diocese, as David has done in the past. Standing committee is basically the vestry of the diocese, and I'm very grateful for the wisdom and guidance that I receive from your leaders. Thank you also to uh, Judy and Jonathan and the vestry, and to Ed, your, your deacon, and to your uh, superb staff team and indeed to all of you who serve the Lord so faithfully in this church. I bring you greetings from our Archbishop, Archbishop Foley Beach of the Anglican Church in North America. In all of his travels across the country and around the world, he sends his his warm greetings to you all. Well, I'm so glad you've been having this sermon series on the Nicene Creed. Uh, I've enjoyed listening to them online along with you. and I'm just so thankful that you all receive such, uh, such great teaching in this church. You've seen why we have the Nicene Creed. You've seen why we recite it each week. Because, frankly, everyone has a creed. Everyone has a belief about God and the world and themselves. Everyone has a creed. So isn't it better to have a really good one? Our son Michael is ordained and a woman at the church he served came to him and complained about the fact that they recited the Nicene Creed every Sunday. Turns out she grew up in a church that had a part of a tradition that claimed we have no creed but Jesus. Well that sounds nice but is it? Michael wisely asked her what she believed about Jesus and she gave an orthodox answer. She said, Jesus is the son of God. He never sinned. He died for me on the cross. He rose from the dead and so on. And then Michael pointed out to her that every single thing she said about Jesus was denied by some in our culture who call themselves Christians. The creed teaches and the creed reinforces the truth that we know about Jesus from the Bible. And the creed proclaims that we are this sort of Christian, the kind that believes what the scriptures tell us. 
This morning we come to the final phrase of the creed where we proclaim that we believe in the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Now, this is not referring to Jesus' resurrection, but ours. Jesus' resurrection was spoken of earlier in the creed where it says, on the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. When we declare our belief in the resurrection, we are saying that all people are resurrected. Now, that's surprising to some folks. We believe that all are resurrected, but we are not saying that all people are saved. No, we are saying that all people are resurrected to face the judgment seat of Christ. Recall that earlier in the creed, we say that Jesus will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And through his judgment, some will be welcomed into everlasting life in the presence of God, and others will be condemned to experience everlasting exclusion from God in hell. That's the consistent message of Scripture. The prophet Daniel said about the final judgment, but at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. All people are resurrected, but not all people are saved. Jesus himself said, the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. All people are resurrected, but not all people are saved. The Apostle Paul said in explaining his central message in Acts chapter 24, there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. All people are resurrected but not all people are saved. We're saved only by grace through Christ. Jesus died on the cross to take the punishment we deserved. He, he died so that we can be forgiven. There's nothing we can do to earn his forgiveness, nothing we can do to earn salvation. All we can do is say yes to Jesus, receive his undeserved love and mercy, and then gratefully live our lives in obedience to him. Heaven is for those who receive what Jesus has done for us and surrender to him. Hell is for those who do not accept the forgiveness offered through Jesus Christ. Full stop. Are we clear about that? But the Bible also teaches that for those who are saved... There are rewards in heaven for what we have done in Christ's name. Now, we evangelicals have historically shied away from the notion of rewards in heaven because we don't want to go anywhere near the disastrous cliff of works righteousness, the false idea that somehow we work our way into heaven. But there are many passages in the New Testament, and most of them are from the lips of Jesus himself, that speak of rewards in heaven. Not least Matthew chapter 16, verse 27, where Jesus says, for the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. 
You might think of it this way. Acceptance of Jesus Christ determines your final destination, heaven or hell. But your actions determine your rewards or punishment. But please note, Jesus is not speaking of the reward of heaven. Heaven is not a reward for doing virtuous things. No, Jesus speaks of rewards in heaven. For those who are saved by God's grace, there are rewards that we receive in heaven. Our entrance into heaven is God's gift through forgiveness in spite of what we have done. Our rewards in heaven is earned because of what we have done. Well, what does the Bible tell us we need to do in order to gain a reward in heaven? Here are some of the things done on earth that God tells us he rewards in heaven. Praying. Matthew 6, 6. When you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Those prayers offered in the middle of the night that no one knows about are seen by God and rewarded. Giving your money to the Lord. Luke 12, 33, sell your possessions, give to the poor, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. Serving those in need. 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning at verse 18. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. Being persecuted for your faith in Jesus. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 11. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. Loving your enemies. Luke 6.35. Love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting anything back. Then your reward will be great. Working faithfully on the job. Colossians 3, beginning at verse 23. Whatever you do, work at it with, your, with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Doing any act of kindness. Mark 9, 41. I tell you the truth, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to Christ will certainly not lose his reward. Well, the list is long. So long, in fact, I think the Lord wants us to realize that everything we do in obedience to him and for his glory will be rewarded. Now, it is possible to lose or fail to gain your reward uh, for something good that you have done. Because just as Jesus promises us rewards, he also warns us that we can lose our reward. We can lose our reward if we act without Jesus, John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus says, If a person remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. 
Works that are rewarded are done out of our relationship with Jesus. That means these are works that are done after we have surrendered our lives to Jesus. The unsaved are not rewarded because you can't earn salvation. And this is clearly taught in our Anglican Articles of Religion, in Articles 12, 13, and 14. We can lose our reward if we act without love. 1 Corinthians 13.3 says, If I give all I possess to the poor but have not love, I gain nothing. Actions that are rewarded are not done out of selfishness or resentment or spite or with grumbling or a bad attitude, but out of love. I grieve over many, how many times I've probably lost my reward in heaven for visiting the sick because of my bad attitude over fighting traffic all the way around the beltway to NIH. We can lose our reward if we act in order to get credit and recognition in this life. Matthew 6 uh, verse 1 Jesus said, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now, anonymous giving avoids the problem. But anonymity is not a requirement. Others can know what we do. Just don't do it for the recognition. It's God's recognition that matters. All people are resurrected but not all people are saved. Hebrews chapter nine, verse 27, it is given to every person to die once and then to face judgment. Parenthetically, let me note that that verse makes clear there is no reincarnation. It is given to every person to die once and then to face judgment. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter five, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one will receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. You see, the Bible says it's all recorded. Whether or not we have surrendered our life to Jesus Christ has been recorded. And everything we have ever thought or said or done has been recorded. And it will all one day be revealed. Our New Testament reading this morning from Revelation chapter 20 describes the vision given to the Apostle John about the day of judgment. We read, Then I saw a great white throne, and before him who was seated on it, uh, excuse me, and him who was seated on it, earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books, plural, Books were opened. These are the books that record everything we've ever done. And then it goes on. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. That's book singular. The book of life elsewhere called the Lamb's book of life. It is the record of those who have given their life to Jesus Christ. It is not a record of those who are good people. It is not a record of those who have done kind and loving deeds. It is the book, singular, the list of those who have surrendered to Jesus and have asked for his forgiveness for their sins. The passage continues. And the dead were judged by what is written in the books according to what they had done. 
Again, plural. These are the books that record our actions in this life. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. If our, not, or if our name is not written in the book of life, if we don't belong to Jesus, then we are lost, condemned, thrown into the lake of fire. But if our name is written in the book of life, we are re- rewarded according to what is written in the other books, the ones that list everything we've done. All people will be resurrected to come before the judgment seat. Justice will be meted out, and each person who belongs to Jesus, whose name is written in the Lamb's book of life, will be sent to everlasting life. And those who don't belong to Jesus will be sent to everlasting punishment and separation from God. Judgment is universal. Romans chapter 2, verse 3 says, Do you think you will escape God's judgment? 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 5 puts it this way. We will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Many people know John's gospel, chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But it's also important to know the next two verses, 3, 17 and 18. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Auguste Rodin was a French impressionist sculptor. Many people don't recognize his name, but many more are familiar with his work. It was Rodin who created the famous sculpture called The Thinker, the one who sits like this. The Thinker was done as part of Rodin's larger masterpiece called The Gates of Hell. Lots of people have wondered what The Thinker is thinking about. Well, the thinker is actually contemplating divine judgment and everlasting separation from God. John 3.36 warns, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Every person should think about that because it means we have to choose either to admit our sins and ask for Jesus' forgiveness or to try and rely on our own goodness. God's forgiveness does not come to us automatically. Two thieves were crucified with Jesus. Only one turned to Jesus and asked for mercy, and only one received it. Only one was promised that he would be with Jesus in paradise. What we must do is ask for Jesus' forgiveness. We must admit our guilt. We must acknowledge our sins and come to Jesus. We must tell him what we've done wrong and let him take our guilt away. When people hold back from surrendering to Jesus Christ, 
They live in uncertainty about their future. What will happen to me when I die? Where will I spend eternity? Albert Einstein, the great physicist, was once traveling from Princeton on a train. The conductor came down the aisle punching tickets of each passenger. When he came to Einstein, Einstein reached into his vest pocket, but he couldn't find his ticket. So he reached in his other pocket. It wasn't there. So he looked in his briefcase. He couldn't find it. Then he looked at the seat beside him. No ticket. The conductor said, Dr. Einstein, I know who you are. We all know who you are. I'm sure you bought a ticket. Don't worry about it. Einstein nodded appreciatively. The conductor continued down the aisle punching tickets. As he was ready to move into the next car, he turned and looked back and saw the great physicist now down on his hands and knees looking under the seat for his ticket. The conductor rushed back and said, Dr. Einstein, Dr. Dr. Einstein, don't worry. I know who you are. I'm, you, I'm sure you bought a ticket. Don't, don't worry about it. Einstein looked at him and said, young man, I too know who I am. What I do not know is where I am going. (laughs) If we have surrendered our lives to Jesus, we have confidence as we anticipate our resurrection and the day of judgment. We know where we are going. The resurrection of the dead means that there is judgment for you and for me. We must choose, we must decide about Jesus because what we decide will make all the difference for eternity. If you've surrendered your life to Jesus, you know that. But if you've never done so, if you've never put your trust, not in your own goodness, but in his forgiveness, perhaps you would want to pray something like this in your heart. Jesus I give up trying to do it myself. I give up trying to make it on my own, trying to live down my past, trying to solve my own problems, trying to be good enough to earn my way into heaven. Jesus, if I don't really belong to you, I ask you to take me as your own today. I ask you to forgive me and give me the gift of eternal life. I put my whole trust in you and I choose to follow you. Thank you for loving me and dying for me and forgiving me. Help me now to live my life your way. That is Jesus's invitation. If you just prayed that prayer in your heart today for the first time, choosing to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, or if you're just thinking about doing that, let me urge you, either after the service or sometime this week, to talk with David or Robbie or grab me before before we leave, because we want to encourage you and guide you. All people are resurrected, but not all people are saved. Put your trust in Jesus so that on the day of judgment,
he will call you his own and welcome you into his kingdom for all eternity.